Welcome to What's Korean Cinema episode 48 on Flu. So it's outbreak Korean style. Or really, just an outbreak contagion type of movie from South Korea. And it's uh, 2013's Flu that's uh, up for review this episode. It's been uh, mentioned every now and again as uh, a little bit of a profitable uh, movie from a few, few years ago. And um, it's a genre template that I'm not uh, against. So I thought like, hey, Paul said it twice so that's enough motivation for me to uh, put together an episode together with paul and my name is gonna be and uh, with me fresh from uh, coughing off uh, uh, blood uh, a little co- coughing fit that I'm, that I'm sure is nothing is paul quinn of hangul celluloid good evening ladies and gentlemen hope you're doing well yeah well you know i, I don't think it was real blood just a uh, wine from yesterday coming up or something. <laughs> well yeah it, it, it kind of often does but we're not allowed to talk about that it's back <laughs> you know because that that it's only a weekend thing it's not it's not i know you're a responsible uh and diligent uh, uh, uh busy in terms of work and you and indulge because adults can ah uh, you mean a functioning alcoholic yes that's me <laughs> um we we get we get by Cool, cool. Well, uh, we'll we'll get into it, but some uh, contact information first of all, uh, be, because by this point, even though we record these things well in advance, but by this point, I therefore know that the Blu-ray for Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death from Mondo Macabre is out. Why do I mention it? Well, me and Paul did the audio commentary for that shiny Blu-ray disc here put out in the US by Mondo Macabro, and uh, you can pick it up now from the likes of Amazon, but also Mondo Macabro's own big cartel site, and I'll, I'll put a link here uh, to it. Uh, and uh, w- what do you have to look forward to in terms of the commentary? Well, mostly a discussion. It's like a podcast, really, but with some mm-hmm. specific stuff where we talk to the screen, but uh, we never uh, narrate the movie as such, and there's rarely any silence as we fill those two hours uh, rather splendidly, I think, uh, uh, in terms of that and what you don't think, I think of we the, did okay. Uh, yeah, I think we did okay. And, and then what do you think of the conversation? That's uh, entirely up to you uh, and all of that. But I hope you uh, take a chance on it. And uh, let, let me throw over to Paul because uh, you provided uh, also some additional uh, production on the disc, if you will. You you didn't just do the commentary. So for people who didn't listen to a Christmas special or follow you on social media, uh, where, uh, where, where else on the disc can we find your efforts? Essentially, the rest of the extras are a load of interviews with cast, crew, and other directors that it's something to do with director Kim Ki-young, who did Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death. Most notably, I guess, actress Lee Bashi, who's, I guess, in her 70s now and still is as photogenic and as sweet as she was when she was in her early 20s when she was in the film. But for all those interviews, apart from there's one with... Uh, film crit- critic Darcy Packett. His is the only one I didn't write the questions for. So as you as you watch the interviews with Lee Bashi and you know all the other directors, they're answering my questions, and I'm deeply, deeply proud of that because I I, I tried to angle each set of questions specifically to them, as you do. But you Why know, are you I, so beautiful? <laughs> yeah. Why haven't you come to visit me? Oh, you don't know who I am. Um. So you know, I'm I'm really proud of what we did on the commentary. But I'm also proud of, I think, that the breadth that we got across in those interviews. I think they, they work better than I could have hoped for. So, you know, I'm, I'm deeply proud to have been involved in the whole thing. And I'm so glad you were Kenny B as well, because, you know, your, your work made my job easy. Let's be honest about it. 
Well, uh, I prepared my, my, my questions and those were to you, essentially. But uh, I was there as moderator and uh, also curious viewer and um, uh, put forth my ana- my analysis uh, to the best of my abilities. So uh, it was a nice uh, balance and mixture. It was great to be involved in. And the disc is finally out. So that's uh, so pick it up uh, now. That was a little plug for that. We, we can plug that for seven years, seven years because they had that license for seven years. <laughs> Well, exactly. And, you know, just as a, a little sideline, aside from the audio commentary, aside from the interviews, pick it up for a Blu-ray of Woman Chisnick, The Butterfly of Death, because it is an insanely surreal, trippy journey. It's well worth seeing if you haven't, if you've already seen it. Go get the Blu-ray. You'll have it forever. Indeed, uh, that's a very good, uh, very good point. And uh, uh, for the rest of the contact information, uh, this is uh, What's Korean Cinema. We're part of the Podcast on Fire network. Our back catalogue of shows you can find on podcastonfire.com, along with bonus episodes that we do connected to these shows uh, every now and again. Uh, if you have any questions or feedback, uh, for instance, did you watch Flu back in uh, 2013? Uh, let us know, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Follow us over on social media, for instance, on Facebook. Uh, you have a button that leads to facebook on our website and uh, that leads you to our page so we would very much appreciate a uh, like in support and if you want to join the discussion over in the discussion group then type in podcast on fire network on facebook and join us that way and uh, we post show updates and uh, other other fun things uh, and uh, there's a button leading to our twitter feed as well and if you want to listen to us uh, on your device uh, you can do that in a variety of ways by uh, subscribing to us on apple podcasts uh, for instance we're also available on stitcher radio and spotify and i write uh, mainly about uh, hong kong and taiwanese movies on my website but a lot of taiwanese movies uh, recently for me a lot of re-reviewing things i want to expand my thoughts on whether they're kooky taiwanese movies or more rural um, sometimes darkly dramatic uh, taiwanese movies that uh, are not uh, talked of um, that much so i'm, I'm kind of in the habit of uh, doing that now whether it's a movie like the woman of wrath or golden queen's commando so you can already judge by titles paul that they are different movies <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> uh, but uh, that's my site and my video hub is lisakvideo.com so let me throw over to you paul for a little pluggy 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 thingy so where are you on the world wide web you can find me at hangocelluloid.com obviously i focus on korean film reviews interviews uh, essays but it's it's all specifically korean so i may be niche but go go find me um i'm on facebook as well at facebook.com slash celluloid on twitter at, at hangle celluloid if you go to the the site all the links to the other social media things are kind of predominantly on the the home page so you can't really go wrong all you've got to do is click a button before the movie review, uh, we will have a section containing some biographical notes on the director of Flu, in this case, Kim Sung Soo. We'll talk of the reception of the movie and the performance of Flu, and then we conclude the show with our discussion of the film. And the reason I'm mentioning that now is that because uh, you, now you now you know what we're going to do, but there's also timestamps available in the show post for these uh, distinct sections. So here we go, flu from 2013, and uh, the plot goes as follows. The worst epidemic ever seen is sweeping through Bundang, the suburb of Seoul. After smuggling illegal immigrants into the country, the character of uh, Byung-woo dies from an unknown virus. 
Soon after that, the same symptoms are plaguing scores of residents in Bundang. People are helpless against the airborne disease and the number of infected increases quickly, spreading chaos. As the worst case scenario precaution, the city of half a million people just 19 kilometers from Seoul is about to be sealed off. The government orders a complete shutdown. Meanwhile, infectious disease specialists were carried off in here. And uh, you, you'll have to pronounce her name, or I'll, I'll give it a shot in the dark here. So A, is that it? Yeah, So A. Okay, there we go. Or Su A, actually. Excellent. And uh, uh, along with rescue worker Ji Gu, played by Jiang Hyuk, uh, they go into the closed uh, city to find the blood serum of the index case, you know, patient zero, a crucial part of uh, developing the vaccine against this uh, airborne disease, this flu, if you will. So it's uh, one of those uh, type of uh, movies. You've seen it before. and uh, But is there any good or not? Well, well, we'll get to that in a bit. Some background, first of all. This is from director Kim Sung-soo, now 57 years old, which means we weren't dealing with one of those fresh-faced, oddly talented punks that seem to enter <laughs> South Korean cinema and, uh, and earn <laughs> all the money. I didn't say that with any negativity in my voice at all. The fucking, fucking, no, fucking no, 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 no. You, 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 you haven't... You- You haven't had a thing in your head about that for years. No, they, they no. do seem to breed a lot of talent, and they seem to be young most of the times. So this was my first movie; it made all the money in the world. Great. They really, really. Do. I mean, just on the same thing. Um, there was a very recent film called Extreme Job. It's your average sort of action, sort of comedy thing, and it's been humongously successful. I interviewed the director. Yeah near a first feature you know he's done a little bit of indie shorts here and there and it's just like he looks about 14 and you think what what so it is it's constant it's constant yeah well in this case uh, we have someone who who made five or six movies uh, prior to flu yeah and uh, his track record contains a new Uh, Korean cinema new wave notable such as the um, comedy Please Teach Me English. I s- English. I say notable because I know these titles, but I don't know yep. necessarily the quality of each movie because it's always like the barking dogs never bite. You never forget that title. Please teach me English. You know that that was a Korean movie from back in the day, a certain yep. uh, a certain time in the new millennium and things like that. It, that's how the Korean cinema new wave worked as well. The English titles stuck with you. So, which I guess is a good thing, of course. He so he directed "Please Teach Me English." That was a comedy. He also directed a period epic uh, Musa, that gained traction in discussion forums back in the day because it was a period action costume drama, and also Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragons. Uh, Zhang Ziyi had a role in the movie, and it was also a box office hit at the time. So it had a UK release as well. So there was interest across the sort of Asian cinema fandom based on casting and um, and genre and Korean cinema on you know. Uh, gaining in popularity and things like that. Based on that track record, that also consists of short movies. Is Kim Sung Soo quite the you know commercial and dependable director for that? Uh, so you know, so someone to trust with a big canvas. So, what would you say is the cinematic identity of his? Because we mentioned a comedy and we mentioned an, an epic. So, wh- where does he belong? You think it is really funny. I mean. Uh- Early in his career, he, he was known for a film called Beat, which was sort of a, a gangster sort of action deal. And that sort of set up, to my mind anyway, what his sort of focus was. And he does Please Teach Me English, which is just a little romantic comedy about someone who can't translate for a, a foreign person in a government organization. So she wants to go and learn English. It's just funny. It's, you know, it's kind of throwaway. And it just makes you think, well, what is his deal then? 
but everything since is sort of said he's the action guy you know he's he's like a step to the left of of Ryu Sung Wan Beat was gangsterish Musa is sort of warrior sort of stuff you know that your classic martial artsy I guess he did Azuru uh, City of Madness later on which is corrupt cop uh, corrupt mayor and you know internal affairs it's all very action crime that's his sort of deal and i guess the flu sort of fits into that but i interviewed him in 2013 and he actually said the reason he'd done this was because he felt it was a sort of a step away but still staying in the action genre so well, you, well, you got to renew your voice i suppose and uh, find new creative endeavors and uh, evolve and enhance it so uh, and, and and also, I mean, by, by that point, when you interviewed him, uh, if my research is correct, he, he hadn't directed for 10 years. That's that's it. Yeah. And I mean, he he actually was being interviewed because the flu had just hit. And uh, you, you could tell it was like he was starting all over again. It, it felt like it, it wasn't nervousness, but you could tell he he'd been away. It, it was it was an interesting interview. And I mean, he 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 actually wrote. The, he was sent the screenplay for something that akin to the flu. He rewrote it, and the film distributor said it was it was deeply boring. So they, they got in other writers to help him out, and you know eventually he came to direct it. So, and and he he, he is also a screenwriter and producer. Um, so it's not like uh, the ten years gap there between uh, two thousand and three and twenty thirteen was uh, total inactive. Uh, status and all of that so uh, so you know in in your views and this is shifting focus away from his movies and to other movies but uh, ones you were involved with any notable impact as producer in those 10 years looking at movies like The Restless or My Ex-Wife's uh, Wedding well there again you've got such a, a complete shift I mean My Ex-Wife's Wedding did nothing you know it was just a little you know quirky drama that just came and went. The Restless was really well thought of, but again, it's sort of that whole action sort of bang, bang, bang sort of stuff. And you can understand why he wanted to be the producer of it, why he was interested, because it sort of fits with what he does as well. You know, the other one, you just think, I, I guess he maybe just did it for something to do or for the money or what have you. You know, action's his thing and the Restless fits, everything else kind of doesn't. And at the time of recording, his latest film, Kim Sung-soo, is uh, the 2016 thriller Azora, The City of Madness, that uh, that Paul just mentioned. Uh, that was the 15th most attended movie of that year in Korea, uh, which was behind juggernauts such as Train to Busan and Age of Shadows. Uh, uh, but Azora did uh, well uh, award-wise. You know, it won popularity in technical awards, critics awards. Uh, in terms of uh, putting it into the top 10 of that year. Uh, critics normally do that, those kind of things. And even um, uh, director Kim Sung-soo won a Best Director Award at the 26th uh, uh, Boyle Film Awards in Korea. So since, since we have the time, you know, give us a little quick review of uh, Azora, City of Madness, and how that fits into his uh, filmography. Once again, if you're not aware of Kim Sung-soo, but you are aware of the action kid, kid of Korean cinema, Ryu Sung-wan, think of it. In those terms, it's it's a, a crime action film. It's got Wang Jun-min in it, who worked with both directors. It's got Jung Woo Sung, who's worked with both directors. It, it's very much what you would expect for a crime actioner. It's good. It's violent. It's it's fast paced. 
it works well. And considering the time it was released, you know, we had films from Rio Sung One and the like, you know, Veteran, The Unjust, etc., etc., New World. And it just sort of fitted in with what was really popular at the time. People liked that whole action crime thing. It's good. It's nothing that you won't have seen before or since, but it's certainly watchable and I can understand why it was so well received. And uh, if we go back to the flu in 2013, it had about 3.1 million animations in South Korea, making that... uh, uh, also the uh, 14th most uh, attended movie of that year behind the likes of Miracle in Cell Number no. 7, Snowpiercer, the, this is how long ago this was, and The Berlin File. Even if, you know, if you see that number in terms of, oh, it's number 14, 3.1 million admissions, you know, how does that reflect on a movie in terms of uh, if it's a hit or, or is a uh, below top 10 considered medium and average in terms of uh, hit potential? Or above top ten. You know, it really depends on the year and what else is out there. 2013 was a, was a good year. It was a strange year for Korean cinema. You've already mentioned Miracle and Cell Number Seven. We had the Face Reader with Song Kang Ho, Snowpiercer, Rio Sung Wan's The Berlin File. We had Cold Eyes, um, which was a remake of a, a I think a Hong Kong film. I think. Um, you know, we had Hide and Seek. We had New World with Chaemin Six. So we had a lot of quite big stuff with even the tower with the the imaginary love of my life you know um which one <laughs> which was all of all of them all of them um you had so many so many decent films that were sort of seen as decent but they weren't as huge as you would expect but when you look at the amount of money that was made if you, you said 3.1 million admissions for the flu um, it made 13 million domestically in South Korea. If you take Miracle and Cell Number Seven, it made 79 million. So you know, followed by The Face Reader, which made 56. Then followed by Snowpiercer, which made 53. So 14 in some years would be considered okay. But when you've got things that are that far ahead in the top spots, it sort of diminishes it. So it did okay. But it certainly wasn't as successful as 14 would would make me instantly believe. Uh, it was uh, expanded in terms of uh, it wasn't just a Korean movie uh, and uh, totally local and not uh, up for export. It, it was exported. It was released in America. It had a box office of about one million US dollars. And uh, while you know, if you're a Marvel fan, Avengers fan, or whatever, you you scoff at that number, but. You you have to put one million in perspective for you know for a foreign film um, you know uh, and I guess the it, it, it's a sort of a messy question but I guess we we know now because it's a beginning of twenty twenty where Korean cinema box office numbers can go in America yeah and uh, you know because uh, Parasite from Bong Joon Ho has either passed twenty million or, or is gonna. Uh, so and 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 this one made uh, uh, one million. So you know, you know, it's essentially or was essentially, you know, the, the number between one to ten million US dollars notable for a Korean film in America because you know it's a subtitle film and it's not going to get a big rollout as such. So you know, p- put all that in perspective. Uh, would you say Flu was you know made an impact on the American markets? I would I would certainly say so. I mean, yes, we know Bong Joon Ho's hit twenty million, um, but that's. You know, that's way out of the ballpark. That's not what we're used to. Um, you, again, you need to put it in context of when. 
You know, if you look back to the early 2000s, when Memories of Murder got released in the US, it made $15,000. That's it. And it was a limited release, but it was seen as being really successful for a foreign language films in, in the US. If you jump forward to 2016, I know that's a big jump, but um, The Handmaiden was released, it made $2 million, And it was seen as doing fairly well. Um, not as big a jump as you would have thought from, you know, from Memories of Murder to, to that, the difference in price. But it, it was seemed to be doing fairly well. And Handmaiden had, you know, critical buzz and Korea were pushing for it to be nominated at the Oscars, which it wasn't. But it was high profile and there was a buzz and, two, and, and, and you know, two million seems respectable. So, yeah, and it was far, far higher profile than the flu, you know, even though. It, it had a, a decent, decent-ish push. I wouldn't say it was massively pushed in the US. Um, we'll talk about other territories later. But and and, and and you know and you know by the way, I'm um, I'm not sure how comfortable Korean companies are with pushing such an adult-themed movie like The Handmaiden. You know, it, it's not necessarily yeah, yeah. you know mainstream stuff. Tons of nudity and uh, uh, you know lesbian scenes, which is great, of course. But it's not something you you push onto the mainstream and you get 20 million. Uh, uh, based on an R-rated movie like that. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, but, you know, as I say, if you step back three years before The Handmaiden, you know, a million... Korean cinemas changed a lot very quickly internationally. So a million in 2013 is going to be considered a lot as good, if not better, than two million in 2016. So it did you know, noticeably well in North America, it has to be said. And I think that's a large part of why uh, why it was released in the way that it was in other territories as well. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. So, it, yes, it did it did well and it did better than, than you would have expected it to. I mean, what was it preceded with a big push promotions-wise, bigger than most Korean films receive, or it was one of them that was introduced to the American market and it ended up with one million? Yeah, basically the latter. You know, the the flu was released as a number of big-ish action Korean films have been in the US. It's given a push, but it's not pushed more. It wasn't really pushed more than any other, certainly not compared to, say, the UK. It, it was pushed, but it wasn't overly pushed, you know, so it getting a million from that. It did. It did quite well. It really did. I mean, how how much on the offensive do Korean companies or the companies they, they set up in America, how how of, on the offensive do they go in trying to break the US market? Because we, we've discussed it before, but parasites seem to have wins in its sale from the success at Cannes, winning the Palm Door, but it's built momentum beyond expectations. And you said... Not really because of a big campaign as such. It just had momentum. So are there examples of Korean companies really going for the full expensive promotional campaign for certain movies? They'll do as much as they can. There's a, Essentially, for the flu, we're, we're talking about CJ Entertainment. And CJ, obviously, is a Korean company, and they push a lot domestically. They don't really push outside. You know, I've been in touch with CJ, and they're, they're sort of, oh, UK, that's a long way away. They're sort of, they're very domestic. But if, if you look at North America, they've got their own subsidiary, CJ E&M, which is a similar name to the, the Korean one, but it's it's based in the US. And they push quite hard, you know. If you take the example of Operation Chromite, which was a terrible Korean film starring Liam Neeson, of all people. 
I was about to say, was that the Bruce Willis one? But Bruce Willis wasn't in a Korean movie. I think he was in a movie with Chinese actors, now that I think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, this, this, this was the Liam Neeson movie where he played MacArthur. And, uh, you know, it, his famous line was, get God on the phone, tell him I need more time. Um, <laughs> awesome. Absolutely <laughs> ludicrous film. Um, but it was released with, I guess, about the same push as the flu had in North America. And CGA and uh, E&M in LA got in touch with me and went, you're in the UK, we're going to send you this, you know, by DVD through the post so that you can promote our release over there. And you're like, because you're, you're, you're Irish. We have an Irish yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in, I'm in London and you're in LA. So, you know, they do push a lot more than, than you would expect, but their push is as limited as, a domestic company will be really. Mm, yep, yeah, that makes sense for sure. Uh, the the flu also received attention in, in the UK and Ireland, where it was at the time the largest release on the British Isles, which was on ten screens uh, and uh, largest release since uh, 20, uh, 20, uh, 2009, uh, first by Park Chan Wook. And it was quite notable at the time, apparently, that CG Entertainment struck this distribution deal with theatres on the UK market. Uh, you know, they clearly wanted to push uh, awareness of Korean films. And, uh, and yep. it's, you know, it sounds like a big rollout, but I guess the rollout for Parasite will be even bigger than those uh, combined, yeah, I suppose, first and flu. But, uh, you know, you you know more of these things than I do. You follow it, I, I suppose. So, um, you know, w- what else is there to say about this um, quite focused idea of uh, giving flu this exposure across UK and Ireland. Uh, this this was huge. You know, I remember hearing about this and thinking this is going to change everything. You know, it was a, a directly distributed thing in the UK. It, it was through Cineworld, which is a, a British company, but it was CJ in Korea doing it. And you assumed that was going to change everything. Of course, it, it kind of didn't and things have, have moved away. And now if if something's going to be directly distributed in the uk from korea it'll probably be cj but it'll be distributed through netflix and on netflix and netflix will have some sort of an input and it'll it'll shape a film this was a different deal sad thing is it didn't really work and they've done it a couple of times since and it's it's worked slightly better but it never really had the impact that i assume cj wanted um if you if if you look at the push that they did in the uk they had numerous press releases which I went to, they had a big promotional campaign. It was in 10 cinemas, UK theatres. And like you say, that was more than any other Korean film at the time. You know how much the film made in profit in the UK? £5,000. Mm. It did nothing. It flopped like a big flop. Do you think it still was a good initiative or would you rather have seen a different movie to attached to this? I think it was a great initiative. I wish it had been a different film because if it had been... I can understand them wanting to do a sort of a disaster movie because they're universal. But if they'd chosen a film that would, would have been more instantly appreciated, you know, maybe a Ri Sung Wan film, you know, not even necessarily Park Chan-wook or whatever, but, you know, something from a really trusted actioner, even though this guy does action, Kim Sung Soo, um, he, he, he is just a guy who does action films. He's not an action director per se, the way Ryu Sung Wan would be. If they'd done it with something more grabbable, I think 
they might have had a different outcome. They just, they chose to go with the flu because I guess it's success in North America and thought we can do that in the UK and it just backfired. It just did not work. How do you think uh, the uh, the rollout of Parasite will, will look in your estimation? I mean, do they need to go overboard or uh, i mean grant, grant that they've had bong jung ho in the cast over already at the end of 2019 i mean they're already started i suppose but uh, do you think they need to go overboard or, or it's still gonna have wins no i think it's i think it's gonna have wings all its own and you know the, the golden globes the baftas here in february or i think it's either late january or early february and then the oscars it's just going to it's going to have its own wind the, the weird thing is that when they were doing all the promotion things at the end of November in the UK, everything related to, you know, the discussions, talking about the film, reviews by people who had been, you know, invited to those things to be allowed to review the film. Not, you know, I'd already done it. So, um, but they were all embargoed until February. They're not allowed to mention what went on. And that's, the weird thing because they they pushed 10 screenings they had numerous lectures and nobody can talk about it so they're they're hoping that it explodes and they're hoping that'll explode it i don't think it'll be needed you know i think it'll it'll take its own its own air if you look at the lecture series interview and i'm gonna stop talking about this in a minute if you look at the lecture series interview um and the bfi screening they sold out in seconds you know and that's aside from people like me you know it's got its own wind i've said it before my dear sister would never be interested in watching a, a korean film i'd always try i sent her cast away on the moon she didn't watch it etc etc what um, <laughs> disown exactly no, parasite is parasite is the first korean film she's ever sent me a message going so when can i get to see this now if it's hitting her it's succeeded let me tell you People's uh, brothers and sisters connecting over Korean cinema. Uh, let's put that on the on the poster. You know. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Going back a little bit to Kim Sung Soo and the production of Flu. Uh, how how did it cost for this one? I mean, do we have mainstream faces here that are also powerhouse actors and actresses? Uh, so audience appeal was there in terms of uh, those faces, or what can one say about you know in general how we cost for Flu? It's it's a really weird combination of cast i mean if you look we've got we've got mad dong siok in a supporting role i did not know of in a supporting almost bad guy role in a way um you know he's known as don lee internationally i guess um but he's huge you know and he's he's a really reliable actor he's very very popular so you've got that big name you've got yu hee jin who you may not recognize but he's um he's one of the the sort of guys dressed in red that one of the rescue guys, the, the sidekick, I guess. Um, and he's been in huge amounts of films, huge amounts. He's so well known in Korea, but he's more known as a character actor. And I think that's what we've got here. I think we've got a cast that some of whom are little actors. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, if you look at Sue, the main female character, yeah, she was in Sunny and midnight fm they're they're big enough films but she's not a huge star but she's good as a character actress um and if you look at jang hyuk he's been in things from years back like volcano high windstroke uh, windstruck excuse me um searching for the elephant etc etc he's 
well enough known, but he's not huge. But he's a good character actor. And if you take the big names like Madame Siak, yeah, he's a big star, but he is he's a player. He's he's a team player. And him being in a supporting role is because he's good at those sorts of roles. So I, I it's half and half. Some big names, some lesser so, but they're all they're all good at character pieces. And I think he chose really well in, in, in most cases, yeah. Well, uh, we are here at the review stage of uh, Flu, and uh, in terms of uh, my opinion, I think this is an absolutely perfectly acceptable time with the outbreak disaster type of movie uh, template. It's executed professionally and uh, with a fair understanding of what makes a movie like this tick, what makes a movie like this have a beat, have a pace. I mean, if you've seen this type of film before, You've seen flu before, but by no means a wasted commercial experience because uh, I I was involved for the two hours that I had before me, and then it left my consciousness, and I don't I didn't see that as a bad thing. So I, I thought it was uh, perfectly solid. Uh, so in short, uh, what's your opinion during this uh, of this rewatch? I suppose as I mentioned, I first saw the flu at a, a press screening for the the UK release, and I was sitting next to a guy who is a critic as well for a publication that i'm not going to mention because it's not fair to you know sort of say he said this but he's he's well enough known he was mark kermode <laughs> yeah no no i wish i wish i wouldn't even sit next to mark kermode i'd be scared um anyway um at the end of the film he just turned to me and he went that was ludicrously entertaining and he meant it in both senses of the word and i think that sums it up for me it's it's really entertaining it's way over the top and you will forget it. But as the story goes on and you get one more layer of, you know, just what? What? Are you kidding me? No, not that as well. I, I actually find myself enjoying it in spite of really thinking that I should be arguing with myself saying this is this is kind of ludicrous. Um, I enjoyed it because it is ludicrous and unashamedly so. Very cool. Well, I, I, I'm personally not opposed either to the beat of the outbreak apocalyptic movie i mean when done well it can really get to you it can be scary you know you can tie a knot in your stomach that it's so realistic and scary i saw contagion steven soderbergh's film not too long ago i thought that was okay that was the kind of uh, approach to the material that um, could get to me i'm not paranoid about these things but it felt um, it, it felt effective. An outbreak back in the day, I thought, was okay. I think it was Wolfgang Peterson. He's a solid action director. So that was a, sort of a welcome genre and template that flew placed itself in. And I was curious about another thing, if we move on to the, from that. It, it puts up a card at the beginning of the movie. This film is not based on real-life events. And then we have a little section set in Hong Kong. And I thought, like, are they going to have to put that up just to make sure that people don't think they are exploiting sauce which is not timely so sauce was way earlier or like uh, the the current bird flu or avian flu that was on high alert a few years ago what's your take on that because it took me back a little bit that uh, it's not based on true life events we promise enjoy the movie i can i can tell you exactly where they put that in when i interviewed kim sung soo i asked him a by the choice of the the storyline, he said he got sent the screenplay. Blah 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 blah. He mentioned that things from his past, as he read it, stuck in his mind. And I'm really sorry to do this, Kenny Bay, but um, he talked about the Guangzhou riots, and that's the only time I'm going to mention it this time. 
By the way, let me just stop you there. We, we joke just because so many movies feature it. It's not like I'm opposed to discussing that very sad no, and no, tragic totally, event. Totally. But, you know, riots in which innocent people were abused and killed, etc., etc. And at the time he got the screenplay for The Flu, there had also been a quite serious outbreak in South Korea. So in making it, he's actually putting that up to say... This is not about that. This is fictional. But he said everything from Guangzhou to the SARS thing to everything else all formed in his mind to this fictional thing. And it was just the timing that made him say, this is not about this thing we just had. He wanted to stay away from that. So that's why it's there. In terms of that genre, is that something that uh, you... If you saw a movie uh, that uh, uh, had this story template, you know, you know, in the case of flu, would that be something that you would, would be excited about? Do you, do do you feel that's an entertaining, scary time at the movies, watching these outbreak uh, movies, or you know, specifically outbreak or contagion, or what's your general thought of this template? I'm actually quite dubious about. It. I've seen so many, you know, from inside and outside Korea, um, disaster movies for me. I'll watch them because I want to see them just to see if they do something different, to see if they take it somewhere further or if there's a particular, you know, director or actor, actress that I want to see what they're doing with something. Um, It wouldn't necessarily excite me. I'm always going to be small, independent about, you know, some lonely nerd or whatever. Um, That's my sort of deal. So interesting yeah but it's almost interesting to see if they manage to step away from what i expect it to be i mean it's the same with post-apocalyptic uh, flicks um it can be a, an exciting prospect but not many do it very well you know uh, some of the smaller post-apocalyptic movies can be more interesting than the big big ones uh, with all the chaos i mean there was a Viggo Mortensen movie. I want to say it was called The Road or something like that. And yep, it was yep, yep. a lot of walking and uh, not a whole lot of, uh, you know, digital CG effect chaos of that one. So, and I thought that was solid, actually. Well, you know, and, and there, there we go with the same thing because, you know, yeah, I do Korean cinema, but I also obviously watch other stuff and I watched The Road because of him because, you know, I respected what he had done and I wanted to see what... That's Aragorn. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with you. I think I think the flu hits a place, but you've kind of seen it before. It's one of those. Uh, it's going to display technical chops, and uh, and, and I think it certainly does. Um, uh, in the beginning, there where we get into the un- uh, from location to the underground set smoothly, where our hero is going to rescue our uh, reluctant heroine. You know, uh, it's a nice mixture between location and set. And he's got uh, you know overlapping dialogue and chaos that way without flinging the camera all over the place and uh, making us dizzy because of it. And uh, it's it's the first sort of twenty thirty minutes of the movie that uh, deals with more light stuff. Uh, it abandons it uh, when when the seriousness is is supposed to be in place. And I suppose it has some you know not groundbreaking but some some decent irrational human humor touches you know as yeah. as uh, uh, he accidentally rips uh, her skirt and she wants to cover <laughs> up despite the fact that she needs to be attached to him so he she can be hoisted up and all of that and uh, I, I love the little dialogue where he says to her like is this a fashion show now come on man. <laughs> like never mind that your skirt got uh, a bit torn it's not like she's in her panties or anything so they get off on the wrong foot uh, which ha- it has some humorous 
touches that if he had went with it for two hours that would have been the bad choice but he goes with it for the sections pre-chaos which is the better structure not masterpiece structure or anything but uh, you know there's some fairly well placed uh, humor here without being too too obvious and away with with so many characters really it, it sort of allows you to at least a bit warm towards the ones that are going to play a big part so i think it, i think it works i think he timed that quite well I mean, he even says, uh, <laughs> I love the, maybe it's not a good translation, but he, he talks of her that, uh, you know, because uh, I think um, he needs to give her uh, her purse because it's still left at the accident scene and all of that. And uh, she continues to be whiny and confrontational. And then he says at one point, maybe to his friend or to himself, what a completely anal personality. Yeah, it's it's, too, it's, too, it's, under, it's under his breath as he rolls his eyes. It's yeah. quite funny. So um, that's, uh, I'm glad we're in sync in terms of that, that uh, comedy has a place, but uh, there's a time and place to abandon it as well when, uh, when, when chaos is looming, when we're in the beginning stages of, uh, of the chaos, because I don't think um, I would have appreciated a mix in between the serious stuff. You can't be super funny after a scene like discovering the corpses and the sludge from the corpses in the container, which is a horror scene, and then later be like, oh, she's so whiny, I hate her, I'll never fall in love with her. You you, you can't be so free-for-all with your humor um, unless you're really good. But Kim Sung-soo doesn't give off the impression that he's this auteur, and he wisely abandons it when, you know, we crack open and see the corpses and all of that. Granted, he has a very cheap horror scare in this scene but i'll, I'll give him the build uh, the build up you know when they open the container it's all darkness man and the camera yep. goes into the darkness with no one lights a uh, a flashlight or a um, or a lighter or a match or anything and i think that's uh, a really nice vivid sh- vivid shot that's dark you know what i mean um because uh, first we see the sludge and we can just imagine that you know it's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's festering you know, reeking, it's just putrefied in there. Um, so that's a nice little horror touch. I don't know if he ever dabbled in any horror touches, but... Uh, none at all, none at all. But it, it, I agree with you. It is a nice little a little lead-in and the fact that it is dark when they go in, you, you sort of know what's coming, but in a nice horror way, you're going you're gonna to be jumping when you see it anyway. I mean, it's not an outbreak movie in terms of... Uh, that they get uh, zombified or anything. So, I mean, maybe that's just a little bit playful. Uh, that he, he finds someone alive, and, and someone is alive. Uh, as we talked of, uh, there's an immune person there that was smuggled from Hong Kong and all of that. Uh, how do you feel the, the build-up is then handled by him as we sense, you know, that people start coughing and the th- things are spreading and hospitals start to get a patient or two and then 510 or whatever? Do, how do you think he handles that build-up towards um, the emergency? that's going to take place i i think he handles the early sections really really quite well you know there's not a lot you can do with oh we've got more cases of this and we don't know what it is and how do we find out we need to find patient zero um he handles it as well as you could you know it's been done before it'll be done again it, it, because it didn't seem like he tried to reinvent anything here in terms of like well i'm an older director i can reinvent the entire genre it didn't seem that was the intent here it was uh, intended to be 
familiar but let's let's execute within that there's, there's no shame in that you know i think he had another agenda which involved later stages you know after the the outbreak has begun he does and maybe i'm jumping they're gonna get bit but he does tend to jump uh, almost lurch at times between big action fight scene with some bad guy who keeps turning up and melodrama and that's because it's Korean. And that, that jarred me a little bit. I thought I could have handled that a little bit more. He does go a little bit overly melodramatic and then offsets it to try and make you think he's not being melodramatic. Um, I had more of a problem with that than the early stages. The early stages to me just, they're setting up the film in a way that sets it up. I was okay with those. Yeah, because uh, I'm, I'm not going to mention spoiler-specific stuff, but th- this wasn't a movie where I was looking for a human bad guy. As such or this uh, mm. uh, machine that keeps coming back and you know and uh, it's the monster it's the human monster i wasn't looking for that so it, it, those sections i was um n- they, they were not as uh, engaging for me versus you know seeing the spread you know the coughs and all of that and i was a bit worried that he was too involved with uh, depicting the spread of the uh, airborne virus via effects shots. You know, as, as someone cough, you see bacteria in the air and like this. Uh, yeah, slow slow motion, sepia toned. Exactly, and and uh, he only really did that in the beginning stages of the infection, where he showed that th- this is the way it spreads. So it w- wasn't this like I'm gonna showcase this for the entire movie because we got yeah. boys and girls at computers. Because I I rather like the matter of fact feel of uh, seeing you know adults, elder, young adults, kids be infected. That's scary enough uh, when it's depicted uh, as a matter of fact, and it doesn't need to always be emphasized with filtered effects shots. You know, the, you know handheld camera chaos at the hospital. That that's pretty solid as captured. It's not confusing. It doesn't need to be. Uh, any more than that and and that, and that handheld chaos doesn't mean he hides the chaos iris i think he, he him and crew had a good sort of technical grasp of uh, what to do and those sort of uh, braggy effects shots they weren't um, rampant throughout the movie at all actually um because uh, there, there, there is a pace here there is a beat here there's really even horrid beats here there's a character that's distraught that his brother is uh, being held at the hospital and this uh, distorted character has uh, almost powers beyond belief and irrationality beyond belief and although it's a surprise to see it but there is a, it's the disgusting little moment where he bursts into an operation theater and uh, starts taking uh, he, he puts his hand on his brother and he has blood on his hands and then he smears that blood all over a doctor's face and I thought that was oh my god yeah people People can get uh, this way, I suppose. And that character is not going to give up anytime soon because it's his brother there on the operation table. So I really appreciated uh, that because it was kind of gooey and disgusting, but but also that the movie increased its chaos through more matter-of-fact filmmaking rather than uh, braggy technical filmmaking, if you know what I mean. Uh, any thoughts on that, if you think he handled effects well or did you prefer a more uh, a more straight approach to this scenario? I I agree. I I I think he handled it well. I think early on when he started doing the sepia things, it it felt certainly. But when the, like the second or third one turned up, I thought he's doing this as an exercise, and maybe he was. But at least he then steps away from it, so you can say, well, it was okay for what it was. At least he didn't go on with it. 
Yeah, exactly. Like even the beginning begins like uh, it almost looks like Man on Fire. We bring up we bring up Tony Scott more than anything on this show, but it really looked like the those grainy high contrast images out of Man yeah. on Fire in the Hong Kong totally. section, and then he abandons that because the, that was the choice he thought was suitable for that um, th- that section. And I mean, it's not high praise, but it's 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 still. Um, there's still a focus there a stylistic focus there you know i'd say if nothing else it it's solid and it 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 held my certainly those sections and the points up to those um it held my attention and as a you know standard disaster movie with a spreading contagion if you're going to hold my attention you're doing all right so yeah for sure um, how did you think uh, Jang Hyuk's uh, interaction um, with the little girl was? Because uh, that's that you, you don't know how any relationship is going to work on screen, but uh, he befriends her before he really befriends her mother, which is the so a character. So there's a little triangular connection there. Uh, so uh, how do you think their sort of interaction works? Because uh, she's a smart little kid. I think their interaction. Well, for me, their interactions were one of the the real strengths of the early part and even the later parts of the film and that's because they have got a good chemistry but she's she's a really great little actress and this her name's uh park mina and uh this was her first film and she's only done one film ever since she did confidential assignment um in 2000 i think 17 so she she'd done no movies at all she was brand new and she holds her her little position and she interacts and she's got chemistry with him. She ultimately becomes the focus of one of the, to my mind, most ludicrous conclusions of a film I've ever seen um, in the middle of a road. Um, But even there, because she handles herself so well, you know, I almost smiled. So yeah, yeah, it becomes, um, becomes big and, uh, and, uh, movie in style rather than movie realism, I suppose. Um, uh, again, without spoiling it, uh, it they're, they're not the most captivating moments as the drama heads into its climax, if you will. But uh, I wasn't like, if this unacceptable, off. <laughs> no, totally. You know, and as I say, you know, for for me and that unnamed critic, you know, the, as the film became more and more essentially, you know, unbelievably fictitious. Um, I, I I saw it with a smile. I, Sometimes you just gotta be allow yourself to be weak for something that's ludicrous that then can transfer into ludicrously entertaining. You know. Well, ex- exactly. You know, it's got its points, and yes, the humor in the early stages works. I, I think the, from my point of view, the unintentional humor as the film progresses kind of works as well, even though they didn't mean it to work in their favor at all. They didn't mean it to be funny at all. Uh, I think um, uh, Jiang Hyuk, our leading uh, man, he he need he he needed to switch into a man of action. Like a, he, he needs to be a hero, he needs to be a protector, and come to the rescue of uh, people after having been, you know, frustrated with the the leading lady. So so a, and I think he does. I think he switches nice into the, being a man of action and being a protector. For instance, when he comes to the rescue of the lady that passes out at the escalator at the beginning of uh, of the outbreak. So. You know, uh, one of those, uh, he gets a shot like uh, you need in hero movies, like a good run type of shot. Totally, you know? totally. <laughs> and, and he looks uh, comfortable uh, for 
or something like that without you know uh, elevating this material to award-winning stuff but uh, he looks comfortable and uh, not out of his element as such uh, you know it was surprising by the way he looks fairly young you say he was in volcano how how fucking young was he in volcano yeah i know i know i know i know that that we're over this couple of podcasts we're talking about a lot of actors who should be quite old and look quite old and he just doesn't and there's another one we'll talk about in, in the next podcast the same deal goes for you just think what what were you for the, the the thing is i just looked up his age he's 43 in 2020 yeah. so obviously he was uh you know 36 or something when he made flu and he looks 22 yeah i was i was going to say early 20s no later than mid 20s at all fair play to him you know i guess lucky genes but he he stands up as a, a a really good understated action hero that's his role and he plays it out really well i think so yeah uh, i was interested in that uh, that sort of beat of the movie as well his heroism if you will um so it, and it's also a movie i think where if you're that kind of view and that kind of critic i certainly am not where were because you hear it sometimes uh people uh when they start moaning at movies like well well why wouldn't they do that that doesn't make sense dumbest characters ever i rarely feel that when watching any movie really uh in terms of like well those characters made a wrong decision but i i, I just tend to go with it if i feel there's a flow and a straight line uh walking that line of uh, decent solid quality and i think this does so it it's not Agreed. like yeah i found any like dumb decisions a dumb decision would be like <laughs> let's kill ourselves instead <laughs> exactly you know um even if you look at madame siok's character who is he isn't a he isn't a good guy let's be honest about it the train to busan heroism uh, hadn't yet arrived well yeah exactly i i don't know if you could call him a bad guy either but he he says one thing, I'm not going to spoil it by saying it, that um, he wants to make changes further afield than the little town that, that the flu set in. But that was the one thing where I thought, well, that's that's a really off decision. But because of his character, I completely bought it. It's a bad decision, but it's the decision he would have made. And I, I, I feel that's the case for most of the characters. You know, and I've made some dumb decisions in my time that I, if they were on the screen people would go i don't believe that um so you know i can i can go with it i can go with it yeah i agree i mean it, it's also not an overly complex movie even though it deals with politicians but it's it's one of those scripted things that's part of the template that the genre represents so it's not overly political it just scripts the fact that there are characters here that considers the political fallout of informing the public and uh, so, some are really small me uh, about it and like uh, no i can't do that what would happen to my political career and they look it you know they look you know it, you, you're supposed to be infuriated by someone having the balls to say something like that um, and and then there are characters that do say that well there would be an advantage to not uh, inform the public because of panic but we need to because what other choice have we need to Involve, uh, involve the public in that way because it's already chaotic. So th- there are smarter characters in uh, in uh, the political side of all things, including the South Korean president gets a pretty, uh, uh, as scripted here, gets a pretty uh, nice uh, development as a character, I suppose. Totally, uh, totally. Uh, um, I, I, w- I would say that was, from my point of view anyway, I would assume that was a, a hugely deliberate thing on Kim Sung-soo's part because... 
whatever riots and abuses against people in Korea, you, you mentioned the government always gets held to blame because they mostly are. Um, I did understand the the whole good South Korean president who only cares for his people versus the evil Westerners. But I also had kind of an issue with it because you can tell it's been put in there to, you know, deliberately point things away from government criticism, even though it is fictional. Yeah, I can see that. At the same time, it didn't feel like there was any huge uh, attempts at depth here uh, because, um, you know, they, they they perform some actions, but we don't get to know these political characters as such. So it didn't feel like a statement as such, and therefore it felt like a, it was part of the genre piece that it is. Uh, I have to say I did like the actor who played uh, the South Korean president, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Cha in Pyo. Yeah. Good, good, like, uh, he has a good sense of authority in the role. He has a hard face, so I expected him to be the bad South Korean president. But the actual fact, they twist that around a little bit. You know, and the funny thing is that out of the whole cast, he's the smallest. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he, you know, he's done the least sort of stuff. He's not well known at all. Um, And I think I think he hits really well. I think he hits really well for what he's been given. Uh, going back a little bit to uh, some uh, stories here, that it, 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 it gets evolving enough to a fair degree because uh, parents need to make decisions for family and not for society at one point, you know. Uh, with, um, and again, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, that's designed to get uh, audiences invested in the two hours at hand here. And that, that works perfectly fine as well, uh, even though those decisions might not be rational as such. He uh, Kim Sung-soo uh, depicts a few of those scenes uh, as uh, actors are uh, acting behind uh, face masks too, so they need to use their eyes in a solid way, and they do. Yep. Um, so you know, without screaming their heads off, they they have to you know be a bit wide eyed, and that looks solid enough on these uh, what I thought were young actors. Uh, <laughs> they're not <laughs> like uh, no, they're middle aged. Can't no, no, that, no, that's, that's, that's not that, middle aged. No, won't accept it. So uh, and and you know there's beats of disintegration of friendship, you know, out of sync friendship. Uh, the, the the best friend of uh, Jung Hyuk's character is a little bit frustrating. You know, he, he jokes when he shouldn't joke. So it it seems so obvious, but it doesn't feel cloying or just uh, annoyingly inept because they do do the obvious scripted things. Yeah. I it, you know you go with that flow and that that makes it entertaining without affecting as such. Uh, you know the drama is there but it's not you know uh, it's not uh, tearing at you as such. You're not tearing up by it. So perfectly perfectly well and I mean it cranks the chaos also well for the last ha- half hour but um it it probably I prefer the former half rather than the let's say, the uprising that happens at the end of the film. It feels, um, versus the build-up, it's not as um, much of a payoff for me. But when I was watching it, I I was watching it happily and was entertained, but it didn't stand out as much as uh, the, let's call it down-to-earth stuff, versus the more bigger stuff at the end. I kind of agree with you and not agree with you at the same time. Um, Yeah, I, I agree with that exactly, but I'll also say it way pushes things too far from my point of view. And though it isn't the most standout section, the early stuff's the most standout section for me, the end stuff was the most memorable for me. And that's because it it unintentionally made me laugh and roll my eyes. It it goes so beyond the pale. Uh, that's what I mean by, uh, by I was still with it. Uh, I, I wasn't bothered with it at all. And uh, the edge of your seat stuff was okay. 
it was okay. Uh, the, you, you're supposed to crank it by them. So, and it did feel inept as as made uh, as such. And and I wasn't really expecting this world's smartest movie. Totally. I only found one thing that was movie convenience like you read about. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm going to say it to you and you'll get it. The uh, character is searching for another character and he finds that character by the sound of a uh, movie clip on a phone playing in a very loud environment. <laughs> in a very in a very big, very loud environment when the <laughs> phone is below a lot of... <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell you what it's below, but there's a lot of stuff on top of it. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I was like, okay then, movie, okay then. <laughs> but maybe, you know, it could have been a Samsung phone and they're just lighter than any others anyway. Yeah, let's go back and check the... Uh, the the designated uh, phone manufacturer for what it's totally. so, so that was the only thing I think that was a stroke of luck like you read about but okay like I'm too old to be uh, to be mad at everything so well exactly you know and it, it, it's a it's a ploy that you know it, it gets where it needs to go and yeah I'll let it go I'll let it go happily as I said absolutely acceptable Outbreak dissolves the movie and uh, it doesn't make uh, uh, the poorest uh, filmmaking decisions in the world because um, it uh, it uh, got to me. I was engaged as uh, this uh, quite, um, you know, it's not totally out of uh, our current reality. I mean, uh, maybe it was as uh, far back as 2013 when even we were, when, when avian flu or bird flu was a bit more current than it is now. And uh, so, you know, you can relate to it to some degree because it was part of our reality for a little bit. We Over here, we were taught to be a little bit more self-conscious in terms of uh, washing our hands with uh, antibacterial um, soap and what have you. Yeah, totally, here, t- here too. Yeah. So, so it's not this uh, unrealistic uh, scenario as such. It, it doesn't have, you know big cg flu coming at you <laughs> you know what i mean so, so so it's not one of those roland emmerich type of uh, type of scenarios it um, it's smaller in that regard but again um easy two hours and uh, not too much to complain about even though it's not uh, a classic and i and i didn't expect a classic either that would have been something if we had a classic outbreak movie out of korea that surpassed every genre efforts that's ever been presented before us maybe maybe that's yet to come we'll wait and see what Bong Joon-ho's next movie is going to be about <laughs> Flu 2 <laughs> like electric, electric Dear Google Lord. Like, really you really, do you really want to go there Snowpiercer 2 then no <laughs> no uh, I'm sure someone wanted Bong Joon-ho to do the host part 2 but uh, it certainly hasn't happened well that I'm kind of glad about that as well and I would imagine Bong Joon-ho's probably put his foot firmly down on that because he doesn't really revisit you know he's reinventing on a completely different level I was discussing this with someone uh, the other day about memories of murder I said I'm glad that the news uh, that broke last year didn't break two weeks after the movie was completed well totally totally that would be like no Damn it! We based the fact on the fact that this was an unsolved crime. Now it's solved. What do we do? But can we, can so we get many... the DVDs back? Quick, quick! Get exactly. them back. Stop the presses. We need to add a little extra scene of uh, Song Kang Ho. Got him. Yeah, totally. Final, final little mid-credit montage. P.S. We found him. Being arrested and thrown in jail. One of those like yeah, quick coders they sometimes shoot for. 
for Asian movies, uh, uh, like the, the, this crime doesn't pay codas uh, that uh, certain Asian movies must have for a particular market. One does that sometimes doesn't make sense. Uh, I mean, it's it's an old movie, so I'm gonna half spoil it. But the first Infernal Affairs movie ends with a character getting arrested in, in like the mainland version of the film. That sort of negates the rest of the movies. Uh, the prequel, yeah, that could have worked. Infernal Affairs three wouldn't exist if Infernal Affairs ended universally like that, uh, yeah. with someone being arrested. But it is just a demand on on uh, in certain territories, and that's um, that's, that's uh, the way it is. Yes. Uh, so I've um, run out of my notes for flu here. So I want to say anything else personally about the movie. I was entertained, even though I knew I shouldn't be. Um, I I haven't anything really humongously bad to say about the flu it's okay to enjoy yourself Paul. it's it's okay it goes way way over the top but even that's kind of amusing in a way that the director never envisioned i would imagine so you know if you want popcorn entertainment for a couple of hours that's going to be light in the eyes and not keep you awake at night yeah the flu's cool enough i have no problem with it whatsoever cool well as for availability uh, there are both available us and uk dvd options you can also stream it for free if you have amazon prime uh, us and and you can buy it if you like it i took a chance on buying it and uh, supporting it that way even though i could have streamed it for free as for blu-ray options there uh, there, there's an imprint release in korea but it's quite um, pricey you know 37 us dollars excluding shipping uh, from korea so i would recommend a dvd or streaming um option if i'm re- being really honest uh it uh yeah. it, it's no it's not going to be a nightmare in standard definition or anything yeah so uh so but if you really really like it then then go, then go for the blu-ray okay so next time next episode korea gets swept away by a tidal wave or, or a tsunami really but uh that's uh what the movie hyundai did i pronounce that right you did exactly right i'm really proud i'm really proud but but that's what that movie uh, is called in uh, Korean and uh, as uh, written in Western letters, but it was eventually called Tidal Wave, which uh, it's technically not, but it was called Tidal Wave. So if you search for it on Amazon, you'll find it on the Tidal Wave. At any rate, the disaster film in question from 2009 will be reviewed next episode. Also kind of a, a thing that we've experienced, not personally, but in our lifetime, tsunamis and what have you. So no, no wonder they did uh, a movie like this, you know. But uh, in that movie, they didn't put anything at the front because they probably didn't need to say that this is not based on anything, you know. Yeah, totally. If it would have been set in Thailand, then they probably would have either say that we're making the true life story about that uh, awful tsunami or we're not. So, uh, But uh, this episode of What's Korean Cinema is concluded for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including the back catalogue of What's Korean Cinema. It's available on podcastonfire.com. Our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, so you can stream it on Stitcher Radio and Spotify and all that good stuff. Find all the relevant show links and social media links in the show post and on our website but uh, that was quick plugs but uh, as always the honorary co-producer and co-host you get a full firm plug so uh, what's your site's name paul and where can people find it and did you review flu back in the day by the way i haven't yet reviewed flu because i couldn't get over the ludicrousness of the ending still festering it's still i'm still thinking about it um but there is an interview with kim sung so which he 
you know, talks virtually exclusively about the flu and a little bit about Please Teach Me English on the site, on the interview section. Um, just pop over to hangelcelluloid.com and have a click about. Yeah, you always surprise me. Oh, yeah, he, he's met the director, but I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because uh, Paul's met everyone. I wish. Like, uh, there's a couple of uh, mostly females on his uh, on his checklist, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot. You know, the whole thing about certainly Korean cinema in the UK is that, you know, if you're lucky enough, you'll get to meet some big names in terms of actors and directors. But getting the chance to actually meet actresses or even female film directors is it's it's more difficult than you can imagine. And it's because they work. And I'm sorry to say this, guys, but they work so much harder than men that Jean Doyen was, who you'll all know from the remake of The Housemaid and the like, was meant to be coming over a couple of years back. And she cancelled within a week because she'd suddenly got another TV show and another movie. And, <laughs> you know, so they, they just work so hard. You don't get to meet them. And it makes, from a personal point of view, it makes me all the more interested in meeting them just to get a balance, even though it just sounds a bit dubious. Didn't they? Um, they had the leading lady from Parasite in the U.S. for various screenings and various Q and A's. Uh, didn't they bring her over to the U.K.? Nope. Again, it was Bong Joon Ho, and they brought Song Kang Ho over as well. The you know the main male actor. And 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 like the super young um, teenage actor or young adult actor, uh, they had him over in the U.S. as well. They had had like the the quartet. It seemed to always be available. Yeah, totally. Well, I, you know, I think the US is willing to throw a lot more money at things than than the UK is. So, you know, us getting Bon Jin Ho at all was, from my to my mind, a bit of a surprise. And for Song Kang Ho to turn up as well, that's just, you know, icing on the cake anymore. And, you know, I think it would bankrupt BAFTA. <laughs> two, two, two young actors bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, you know, so... In time, who knows? You know, maybe, maybe as it it comes to its proper release, they'll do a few more. They're they're a bit cagey about what they are and aren't doing. I mean, those that, as I say, they had ten screenings of Parasite mid November, and there was no word of any of them until like two days before the first one started. I'm sure that's a strategy. I mean, there's uh, there's money money in that. Very, very, very much so. You know, so you'll have to camp out then, Paul. Well, you know, you keep your you keep your your eyes to the ground. You can usually find what's going on sooner or later. Excellent. Well, uh, it's angolcelluloid.com at any rate, if we didn't say that, and uh, we'll link to the interview of uh, with uh, director Kim Sung Soo. But in the meantime, we'll see you for next episode. And uh, this is going to be signing off. And with me was Paul Quinn. Lovely to talk to you guys. See you later. <laughs>